from the Gospel of Matthew, the 20th chapter, beginning in the 29th verse. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, and two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious Lord, we come humbly before you today because we too remember we remember the day that you touched us each one by the power of your spirit you touched us you convicted us of our shortcomings but comforted us and invited us into an eternal relationship with you you touched us and we confess that we will never be the same because of that touch We love you, Lord, and again, we have gathered here because of our love and affection and awe of you, and so we pray today, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, that same Spirit, that you would speak to us, draw close to us, open our eyes to the the things that you would have us see. Draw us close. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you ever wonder why Jesus touched so many that he healed? There are so many. I was shocked this week as I went back and I looked through the scriptures and came across so many times when Jesus reached out and healed by his perfect touch. A man with leprosy in the city of Galilee, uh, Peter's mother-in-law in Capernaum, a 12-year-old girl in Capernaum, two blind men, a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, a blind man just outside Bethsaida, a blind man in Jerusalem, in synagogue, a woman who could hardly stand, two blind men near Jericho, and a servant of a high priest whose ear Peter had cut off in the Garden of Gethsemane. I was thinking this week about his touch, and I started to think, you know, of that bloody ear. Would I have the courage to to touch that ear? Perhaps so. And then I thought about how Jesus touched the man's tongue, and I just thought, well, that's kind of yuck. And then I thought, you know, to myself, leprosy, my soul. Who among us would not be terrified at the idea of touching someone with leprosy, but not Jesus? We understand, thinking back about his perfection, that it wasn't necessary for Jesus to heal in that way. He could have stayed in heaven. He could have heard our prayers and healed in that way. He could have simply stood across the room and healed by touching him, by a holy hand lifted in perfection and spoke healing into people's lives. But he chose to. He didn't stand distant and aloof. And he touched so many times that we must be convinced that there is a purpose, there is a message in his touch. Why did Jesus touch? Something within us kind of already knows the answer. There is healing 
in touch. There is wholeness in touch, intimacy. And I think in part, Jesus came to show he, through his touch that he truly is Emmanuel. Remember the word, God with us. We remember the words of Isaiah, written 700 words, years before his birth. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with you and bear a child, bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And of course, these words were perfectly fulfilled only in the life of Jesus Christ. As told in the Gospel of Matthew, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. God with us. And yet, doesn't it feel sometimes like this relationship that we have with our God is a little bit like a game of hide and seek? There are moments in my life when I feel so close and, and you know, when the choir is singing so joyfully, I, I look into the faces and something within my spirit connects with the Spirit of God and, and there he is, unexpectedly, just showing up. And I hope that's your experience today as you enter into his house, that this is a place of worship. This is a place where we can feel his touch by the power of the Spirit to know that we are his. And yet there are other times in my life, perhaps in yours, where God just, I can't find him. He seems distant. He seems silent. I was reminded this week of a story I heard several years ago by a, a man named Derek Redman. He's a good-looking man. And Derek was a 26-year-old bred, and he was favored in 1992 to win the Barcelona Gold Olympics in the, in the 400-meter race. He and his father had spent their entire lives preparing Derek for this one moment. Can you imagine your entire life? Some of you have children who are athletes and you work so diligently in, in horseback riding or, or, or soccer. You know, you work so hard. This man had worked his entire life for this one moment. But halfway into his semifinal heat, although he was expected to win the gold, a fiery pain seared up his right leg. He crumpled to the track with a torn hamstring. And kneeling down and holding that leg, all he could do was helplessly watch as all of the runners that he had passed were now passing him. He lay on that track with broken dreams and a broken body. And as the medical attendants were approaching, Redmond began to fight to his feet. He, he had this sense that he needed to complete this race. He said it later on it was like a, an animal instinct. And so he set out hopping and pushing away the coaches in a crazy attempt to finish the race. But when he reached the stretch, he realized he probably wasn't going to make it. He wasn't going to be able to get to the finish line a big man shoved through the crowd. He pushed through the masses and he brushed aside the security. The man was Jim Redmond, Derek's father. And he caught up with his son and he said, son, you don't have to do this. And his son weeping said, yes, I do. Well then, said Jim, we're going to finish this together. And they did. 
And Jim wrapped his son's arm around his shoulder and helped him hobble to the finish line. And together they fought off the security men. And sometimes the son's head just buried in his father's shoulder. They, they stayed in Derek's lane all the way to the end. And as they approached the end, the crowd clapped and then stood and cheered and then wept as father and son finished the race together. We ask ourselves, what made the father do it? What made the father leave the stands to meet his son on the track? So his son might win the race? No. It was the compassion of the father that loved his son too much to stay distant and aloof, but broke into the race to help his hurting child finish well. Isn't that the image of our Father in heaven? Isn't that what Paul is describing? The compassion of Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He broke into our race. He humbled himself. He went through uh, taking off all of the glory of heaven and putting on skin, being born of a virgin in the middle of nowhere. Why? So that he might touch you. So that he might show his indescribable love for you. It's like the first time that I ever truly studied the words of Hosea. Hosea is often called the cross of the Old Testament. And when I read it that first time, when I truly read it, everything stopped for me. I knew that God loved me. I knew it. It says so right there in John 3.16, the verse that most of us memorized, the very first verse that most memorized. But likewise, Hosea 11, knowing that God does not change, says this, when Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they called them, the more they went away from them. Yet it is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of a man, with bonds of love. I became to them as one who lifts the yoke from their jaws. I bent down and fed them. Can't you just see the image of a loving father raising his child? So my people are bent on turning from me. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? My heart is turned over within me. My compassions are kindled. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again. For I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst. Who among us parents has not had our heart turn over for our children? when they go and they hurt themselves, when they go and do things in disobedience, when they go and do things that we know are not good for them, what happens in our heart? It turns over within us. We yearn for the goodness for our children. 
How is it that God in his perfection can yearn over you and me in that same way? How is it that God in his perfection beyond our understanding can risk for me? How is it that his heart can be broken when I turn from him, when I sin against him? How can it be that God would condescend for me, that he would sacrifice for you and for me so that our sins might be covered? How is it that he would desire to us so much that he would give up so much just to touch his children, to love us perfectly? And can't you see now when it said so clearly, so blatantly, that when there is distance between God the Father and me, when it feels like a game of hide and seek between us and the Father, that it is not the Father who is hiding. But God loves us so much. He gave up so much to draw near to us that it must be me And then the question becomes, what am I hiding from? What are we running from? Why would we want a separation? Running from what? From perfect love? From a gentle touch that changed everything? Mark 1.4 says this, moved with compassion. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. The compassion of God is an amazing, awesome thing. In Hebrew, the word is rahem, and 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 rahem means to show mercy, show mercy, take pity, to have feelings that are accompanied by acts of love. Jesus was moved with compassion, Compassion isn't just a feeling, in other words. It drove Jesus to action, to empty himself, to endure the cross, to love, and to touch. As I studied the scriptures this week, I found 92 examples of the word rahem, or the compassion of our Father. Perhaps the pinnacle of praise for the the father of all compassion is found in Psalm 103. Oh, read these words in your heart with me. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Why would we bless him? Because verse 8 says, the Lord is compassionate and glorious, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Just as the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And it seems like the psalmist is about ready to explode as he considers the praise and, and the compassion of our God. And it kind of culminates in verse 20. He says, bless the Lord, all you works of his, in all places, of all dominions, bless the Lord, O my soul. And I can hold up these words of scripture to my own life, and can't you do the same thing? Can't you do the same thing and think back when God's compassion flowed over you? I think of all the times where his Patience was just shown in my life. All of the long-suffering, the forgiving, time after time after time and again. The compassion he has shown us when we are hurting and lost and at the low point of our life. 
Can't you think of a time when his compassion rolled over you like a, a warm blessing from heaven? When the Holy Spirit kind of unexpectedly, unrequested, just shows up to give us comfort and encouragement and strength and insight and wisdom to speak to our spirits, confirming we are his. There have been times in my life when I failed him so drastically, I just wonder to myself, have I outsinned the grace of God? And time after time, the compassion of God speaks to me, to us. No child, you are mine. And how blessed are we to feel his touch. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name for his love, for his kindness, for his compassion. How in the world can we respond to such generosity? Along with the psalmist, you know, don't you want to just burst out this morning? Don't you just want to sing? Don't you want to just do something? How do we respond to such love? Which takes us back to the first question of the day. Why is it that Jesus touched? He reached out and touched. He loved by touch. Because it's intimate. Because it is, shows a oneness. Because touching is healing. Can't you remember the day when he first touched you? And don't you think that it was also a, a way of showing us now that you have been loved, now that you have been touched? Now go and do likewise. Touch the hurting. Heal the broken. Don't you think it was to give us an example to follow? The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says this, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Compassion, compassion beyond just a feeling. Compassion that moves us to action. Or Colossians 3 and 12 says, so as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved. Listen, listen, listen. If you feel like you are just blessed beyond belief because you're a chosen of God, I just want you to say amen loud and clear. Amen. If you just feel like you just remember the day that he touched you, as he chose you, I just want you to say amen. Amen. Can't you just raise a holy hand and just praise him for who he is and the compassion that he has shown? Oh, we have hard times with holy hands. Can't we just say amen then? Amen. All right, now what Paul is saying in Colossians is because that is true, because he has loved you, because he has uh, overflowed in his love, in a sense of compassion, he says then, so what? So now, since you have felt this compassion, it is up to you now to go and be moved with compassion. That's how we respond in love. That's how. And yet we think back to touching ears. Ah. <laughs> Leprosy, oh my. And it's just hard, isn't it? Sincerely, it's hard. Because there's just so much need in the world. 
And as we look around, it's almost heart-numbing. We, we see the Feed the Children commercials. Have you seen those on TV? Every time I, I see those, they break my heart. And, I, and you know, the thought just comes in, but there's so many of them. And, and you know what? If you've ever worked around the church, if you ever served on the Benevolence Committee, you know this to be true, that it's almost every day that there's someone coming to the church, I need help. I'm struggling. I just got out of the hospital. My children need medicine. There's about to turn my electricity off. I'm about to be evicted from my house. It's every day. It's every day. And something can happen within us. We can begin to harden our hearts. We can... And then we start to think even more powerfully than just an electric bill. We just think about the thousands. You can do the math that there's easily five thousand people all around us, five thousand people within just a few miles of the of the, of the steeple of this church who, who are without Christ. Five thousand people, anonymous voices with anonymous pain that are headed toward an eternity of separation in a fiery hell. And it, and it just is too much. It just seems too much, and I can't get my head around it. And the temptation is to just withdraw into a place of, of safety behind these beautiful Walls to put up our emotional shields and pretend to become numb to the facts. This is Philip Caputo. He was a Marine, a Vietnam veteran, an author, a foreign correspondent, living an amazing life. He covered wars all over the world. He lived in the Middle East, Cyprus, Africa, and Vietnam. And in 1971, he was a war correspondent in Beirut, Lebanon. He said it was absolutely the worst place that he'd ever been to, which is saying a lot considering all of the places he lived. Caputo said he came to the low point of his life when something he knew something had happened inside him. He knew he was in trouble. He said maybe it started when he was serving in Vietnam as a Marine, as an infantryman. And it continued along as he saw pointless carnage all over the world. He says he witnessed all kinds of violence and carnage. And so he began to cloak his heart in an emotional flak jacket. He said he could begin to look at the most tragic and horrible sights and not really feel anything. Philip said it got to an all-time low when in a lull in a fighting, he saw 13 Muslim women come out of their houses to line up in front of a bakery in order to get bread for their families. Just to get bread for their families. An enemy spotter soon saw the women and fired a single mortar shot into the middle of them, killing all 13. And he said all he could think about was how dumb of them to bunch up like that out in the open. Clearly a a heart cloaked in an emotional flak jacket. A little later, his boss called him from Chicago, sent a message to him and said he needed to go interview a a PLO leader in one of the uh, Palestinian camps. Caputo said he knew that that was the most dangerous place in all of Beirut, and Beirut was the worst place in the world. And, and so it was that he found himself in just a, a few minutes after arriving in a terrible firefight, and he was running for his life. He was zigzagging, running, but not running fast enough. 
He was shot in the leg and it shattered the bones in his ankle and his foot. He was fortunate to be evacuated to a hospital, but because of all of the violence, there were doctors, but there was no anesthetic. They placed a rubber tube in his mouth and told him to bite down on it, while two large male nurses held him down and removed the bullet fragments from his shattered leg without anesthetic. He said, I never felt such pain, and over the weeks and months that followed, I cried out from that bed, why? Why, I cried out to heaven, why was I wounded? Why did I have to endure such pain? Angry, bitter, confused. He he said, I played by the rules. Why do I have to endure such pain? Why? And as he searched for an answer, he was drawn back to the time when he observed those 13 Muslim wisdom just trying to feed their children. And he remembered how callously and cynically he had dismissed their deaths. Go back a slide. He said, I started to see myself as a man who had violated a great rule, a great requirement that all of us have to share in each other's suffering or risk losing our humanity. Why was he wounded? He concluded that it was so that he might learn compassion one again. And his words resonate so deeply in my spirit today. All of us have to share each other's suffering or risk losing our humanity. When we touch, we become like Christ. When we touch, we become like him who emptied himself. When we touch, we become one with the person that's hurting. When we touch to meet needs, when we are moved with compassion, not just to feel, but moved to compassion, we become one and we begin to understand that when they hurt, I hurt. We understand the intimacy. We understand that we are one, that we are the body of Christ. I started to see myself as a man who had violated a great rule, a great requirement that all of us have to share in each other's sufferings or risk losing our humanity. It is, in fact, a great rule. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor, not not the many, not the millions, not the thousands, just the one in front of you that's hurting. Just the one. Just manage the one that the Spirit brings to your presence. That's your neighbor. Just the one. May our hearts be moved with compassion like that of Jesus. Not that we simply feel, not simply that we are brokenhearted, not simply that we would come to tears, but that we would be moved to compassion. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. How do we respond to such grace, such love, such compassion, 
by passing on that compassion to others, by sharing your testimony of how Christ saved your life, by witnessing Jesus touched me. He touched me, and he changed everything. And he can do the same for you by loving someone to Jesus, by giving, by sharing, by speaking an encouraging word, by being a joyful giver. Bless the Lord, O my soul, by using your gift for his kingdom and glory. No hardened hearts here. The compassion you have received now pass on to others. As Christ was moved with compassion from the heights of heavens, now way, may we move from the comfort and security of our church into a world that desperately needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious Father, lover of our souls, Lord, who are we that you would be mindful of us? And yet in your perfect love, you sent your son Jesus. I remember, Lord, I remember the day. I remember the day when the Spirit touched me, how you orchestrated people to come and share their faith. And by the time the fifth one came, Lord, I knew that you were there. I remember the Holy Spirit before I even knew your name. And I thank you. We thank you as we look back on your love and your compassion. Now, Lord, help us. Help us to be moved with compassion as you were moved. Help us to take off the emotional flak jackets. Help us to let the scales fall from our eyes so that we might see the need and we too might be moved to touch, to love, to share, to give. And we will praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.